coming up today? So I would have to see plays when my father dies. I had to see plays when my father is like not such a great person. That's what like brought about my persona journeys. Like you can be so many things and still be you. This is Radio Juxtapose. Sometimes we do interviews on Radio Juxtapose that delve into the background of an artist's inspiration. Other times we try to contextualize work within wider narratives and every so often all the planned questions get thrown in the bin and we just let the conversation get a little bit weird. Today's interview with Umar Rashid, aka Frohawk Two Feathers, is definitely the latter. Umar Rashid is an artist, an MC, a funny dude, but first and foremost, he's a storyteller. Finding the meeting point between revisionist history, cosmology and indigenous folklore, his paintings depict an unwritten past. Fables of European colonization and insurrection are told through new perspectives, ones that champion the people of colour so often admitted from the books with a healthy dose of pop culture referencing throughout. As we head into the summer, we're kicking Radio Juxtapose back in the mix with another series of interviews and investigations with Evan Preco and myself, Doug Gillen. If you are easily offended, I would probably suggest jumping on any one of the many episodes that we have in our back catalogue because this whole conversation is pretty fast and loose from the jump and contains colourful language throughout. Sorry, Mum. Evan kicks us off by picking Umar's brain about some of his favourite moments in history. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, since we all live in the countries in which that happens, I always wonder like, what your favourite insurrection that you've supported is. That is such a new direction for the <laughs> podcast. Mm. It's actually quite a few, quite a few <laughs> insurrections. I mean, my number one all-time favorite would have to be the Haitian Revolution because it was just, I mean, it needed to happen. And then if, if you want to talk about modern, modern conflicts, I think the, um, the Vietnamese and, uh, and the, French, uh, the uh, French and Vietnamese War, Dim Pim Bu, like that was just amazing from a military standpoint when they kind of, well, when they took the country back and then which ultimately led to the... Uh, American, uh, the Vietnam American War. Um, and uh, what else was there, man? Uh, Why is that your go to in this very, you know, this question that you probably get all the time? I don't know, man. It's, it's because, like, you know, it was like freedom struggles happen all the time. Being a Scotsman, I mean, you know how, you know, after the, uh, what was it, the Battle of Glint? Hastings? Culloden? Not, oh, not Hastings, not 1066. We're not. We're not going back that far. That's like early. That was, you know, but that, that actually was the, the inspiration for what it is that I do because at that time, basically French-speaking Vikings invaded England, the Norman Conquest. French people, it was the last time that the French, some sort of French was like involved in English politics uh, because, you know, the, the, the language of the Normans was French. So yeah, 1066, no, but I'm talking about there's this, uh, I was actually looking at it. Oh, it's when the, uh, the Bonnie Prince, when, when, when he went against, uh, it was like in 1740-something, uh, Culloden, uh, Culloden, Culloden, what was it? I don't know, I'm quickly Googling it to pretend that I know. 
it was like the battle of color, and it was like the last battle that that pretty much like Scotland was like, oh fuck it, we're not gonna win. You know, it was like after all that the Longshanks, uh, Braveheart shit. That documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was after all the of that. Battle of Culloden, seventeen forty six. Yeah, seventeen forty six. Yeah, the Battle of Culloden. Wow, I didn't even know where Culloden was. Never mind the battle of it. Oh man, dude, I, I I literally have like I have an encyclopedic memory. Like I I retain all information except oh. shit that could probably save my life. So Culloden is far north. It's like right up the top. That's why I've never heard of it. Yeah, they were like, hey, that's just like, uh, let, hey, let's go to Paisley too. Like you know, that's up there. Paisley's kind of out of the way. That's my end. That's my end. I grew up twenty minutes away from Paisley. I just I lost I lost the accent. <laughs> yeah, Paisley. Yeah, but I was trying to explain to somebody like where Paisley comes from. Like Paisley comes from Indi India, but the Scottish, uh, you know, the mills, the, the the woven mills. Like so, when they brought it, they called the pattern Paisley, even though it's totally um, Indian. Well, it's just good marketing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, you know, the whole world is full of popular misconceptions and horrible shit. And I just bring it to light in a very a loose way, you know, like I, I make it accessible, you know, because if we're at each other's throats all the goddamn time, if we're all like, you know, fuck you and fuck you did this to me, it's just like uh, old school feuding and that has to end. At what point in your research do you feel like, okay, I'm ready to challenge this, have fun with this, reinterpret this for work? That's why I chose like, uh, I just gave this little... Uh, this, I did this little workshop with the Hammer Museum recently about the malleability of history. And I do believe there are certain times in a historical record where had things been done differently, we could have averted this modern crisis. But in averting that particular crisis, you invite a new or multiple crises. You know, like, so it's like, I don't know, man. So I was just like, fuck it. I mean, the way I think, man, I'm a Libra, dude. I think I mean, there is no good, there is no evil, man. It's just a balance. Everything has to be balanced at the end of the day. Otherwise, I can't, I can't make a... Um, Libras have a hard time making decisions because I can't see any other... I only see logical... You know, I'm like a fucking Vulcan, man. I only see logic. I don't see anything else. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't get uh, upset about things like, you know, the status quo of the world or, or whatever, like systemic racism and shit like that. Yes, that bothers me. That affects me. But, I mean, you can continue on a particular path and hope for the best, or you can try to just initiate like a dialogue where we sit back and we find our tribe, so to speak. Because your tribe, you know, your tribe doesn't always look like you. Your tribe isn't always going to be you. You know, it's a bunch, you know, you can go to any place, any world, and everybody has the same problem. So it's not like this, you know, gargantuan you know, like, and, and also and another reason I'm actually going off on so many fucking tangents here. It's so good. But he, also, I don't use the word white supremacy because I don't believe that white people are inherently supreme. I also believe in the power and the intention of words and the power and intention of images. So, you know, we we're, you know, like sometimes I think, you know, we all do this. Like we all go about things in a weird, fucked up way because our egos get involved. And even I can't escape my own ego, you know, like, yeah, I know a whole lot of shit, da 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 da, -da you know? So it's like, I'm fucking flawed too, you know? I don't know, I mean, just like multiple perspectives, 
at the end of the day, you get this one fucking life. Doug's going to be Doug one time. Evan's going to be Evan one time. Umar's going to be Umar one fucking time. It's not like we're going to like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, metaphysically, my soul age is a million years. Man, fuck all that, dude. You're going to be you <laughs> one time. You might turn into some other shit. I don't know how that works. You know, I don't know anything about the, the end, end phases of human existence. Uh, literally the fucking uh, spiraling off the goddamn mortal fucking coil. But, oh, wait. You can swear. My parents get mad at me all the time when they listen. They go, like, you say the F word too much. Like, it's all right. It's, it's, hey, it's okay. it's, your parents listen? You've never, you've never mentioned. Yeah, they do sometimes. Yeah. Oh, sick. Wait, okay, this is interesting because I, I, I you just said you're Umar once. I want to know Frohawk Two Feathers, Umar. Mm-hmm. Is there a split? Is it the same? Is it like it's the same? Like Frohawk Two Feathers, Umar, High Fidel, uh, all my graffiti names that I had throughout my life. I just like a little bit. I mean, uh, in you know, embodying a, a persona for me just helps me to enter in a, a different phase. And also I use it as a, a marker of, a passage, of the passage of time. Like uh, when people call me High Fidel, I know they know me from rapping. When people call me Frohawk, I know they know me from making art. When people call me Ken Cyclone, I know they know me from getting drunk and probably saying some <laughs> whack shit or getting involved in a fucking bar brawl, giving somebody a fucking Glasgow kiss, fucking bah, you've, and making music at the same time. So, you know, it's just for me, I just enjoy, I mean, I grew up in a theater, like my father's a playwright. So I grew up like shifting characters, you know, I had to be these different, I had to embody these particular characters in order to come up with, um, you know, these, these personas that influence my worldview. But now it's like, you know, the fucking jig is up. <laughs> the jig is up. It was never, it was like, it's, 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 it's done, you know, like no more dancing. It's just like, this is me. And all of my many, my multifaceted self. But it could also lead to some horrible schisms in the brain, which might lead to a, a multiple personality disorder down the line. I, I hope to God that if I ever get like Alzheimer's or some shit like that or dementia, I just, you know, somebody just puts a fucking bullet in me. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, hey, do not resuscitate. Like, fuck that. Because like, I'll be like, oh, I'm the great Merlin doctor from, you know, like, shit. Yeah, don't, man, don't let me ever get dementia, man. Just seal the goddamn blast doors, man. Like, Do you, do you feel that now uh, with Umar Rashid, you're kind of, that's the, the, the final stage in the in the monikas or is there still more is there still more to come out yeah it's it's, it's definitely the end man it's definitely this is this is my you know and, and i can live with this because more sheet is like it's me you know it's the, it's the one that is me it's the name with that i've lived with since it's the name that i lived with since i was born and and and, and all these personas like umar sheet has always been the constant so i i do believe I don't know. I mean, I might go really. I mean, if I start like a like a space rock band, I might be like Lord Galactic Cosmo Codpiece. You know, some weird shit. You know, I don't. Lord Codpiece. Lord Codpiece. That's the definitely the that's the name of this podcast. You're gonna get some great followers on Instagram with Lord Codpiece as you're at. <laughs> Lord Codpiece. I mean, you know, Cameo used to wear a Codpiece like the band, like they did Word Up, like they he used to have like yeah, a Codpiece yeah. in every video, and I was like, what the fuck? And they were cool too, man, like some X Men type level Codpieces. 
But dude, the cop piece in itself, I don't know if that's ever gonna make a make a comeback. Speaking of fashion, as we are, uh, talk me through <laughs> your your headgear because obviously the listeners can't see that. Every time I've seen one of your your videos on Instagram, it's it's a new adventure, like an like an like an advent calendar. This is a this is an advent calendar. This is, a, this, this is an Italian uh, this is an Italian parade helmet. It's like uh like the like the German Stahlhelm steel helmet, but you know it's just a white helmet that they wear in parades. Uh, I usually wear like a pith helmet. Um, I just actually saved the fucking uh, some birds the other day, and I used one of my straw helmets to um, make it into a bird's nest. The other day, I saved the bird from the snake. This gopher snake was trying to eat the babies, and the mother, in her quick uh, reactionary thinking, flung her babies out of the nest like maybe two meters onto the fucking ground. Um, two meters. Uh, actually, wasn't two meters. Doug appreciates your use of meters. It was going to be a struggle if we went oh, to Oh, you feet. guys don't use meters? Did you just switch up? Did you just switch up the system? Just, oh, that was nice. Thank you. That was respect. I yeah, appreciate he's, that, man. He's being, he's being really respectful of you. It yeah. wasn't for goddamn Evan, because I was like, oh, man, that bitch felt like, like three <laughs> blints of a baseball bat. But no, it was it's so fucking archaic. Like, Literally the whole fucking world. Whenever I leave this place, I don't know what how warm it is. I don't know what time it is. Well, now I know. You made your bed with with Fahrenheit. There's no unit as hard to convert as Fahrenheit to Celsius. This is the content that people want right now. The French were like, well, but you know, Napoleon, the piece of shit that he was, did have his science officers come up with some really cool shit. Like the the, the metric system. You know, but everybody in the fucking world uses the metric system. And we still use these archaic, you know, weights and measures like pounds. And but that came from England, you know, but it's just like, God damn. OK, at some point you got to switch the curriculum at some point, you know, much like, you know, America needs some restorative racial justice. Let's squeeze in the goddamn metric system as right. well. I like that you've got the priority list there. Umar, you are you are a born American man. You know that one senator or that one rep who gets up there and because like we just switched to the metric system will be treated like the just the pariah of all stone to death. Yeah. Oh my oh. god. They tried to do yoga and they tried to do yoga in Alabama and you saw how that went. Think about the metric system. Oh, well, I mean, no disrespect to the great state of Alabama, but fuck them. Like the metric <laughs> system will happen. It, the metric system will happen in our generation. I would personally see to it by proxies and uh, maybe a couple of people might have to sacrifice themselves for this glorious cause of uh, allowing Americans to travel throughout the world and know exactly what time it is, how warm it is, how cold it is. A proper system of weights and measures. Because how the fuck are we going to get to the Star Trek universe if we're over here using goddamn it? Oh, well, you know, uh, I'll take two fingers of the Glen Left Waxy, I guess you can still say. In Japan, they used to measure things in, in uh, bushels, like uh, sacks of rice it's called a, a koku. Like it was a unit of measure called a koku. Hey. 
In a previous incarnation, Umar's hip-hop moniker High Fidel took on another layer of alter ego under the guise of Prince Midnight Dark Force and joined Serengeti and DJ Kofi as the group The Grim Teaches. According to the group's lore, their mixtape There's a Situation on the Home Front was originally recorded in 93 but was never released. Then in 2010, it was unearthed and released along with a series of aesthetically aligned visuals paying homage to the likes of Tribe Called Quest and Farside during the genre's golden age. To be honest, by this point, I'm not even sure his real name is Umar anymore. I had to run to answer the door to Airbnb I happened to be staying in and we joined the guys discussing Morrissey. I, I think I think Man- Manchester has become more of a, a upscale city than uh, the late seventies and eighties, as talked about by the Smiths. Oh God, the Smiths! Don't don't get me started on the Smiths. My daughter was like in the Smiths. I was like, hey, look, I used to like the Smiths when I was a kid, but now Morrissey's like a fucking Nazi man. Like, yeah, what the hell? I, that's okay. This is very interesting. That's one of those bands, right? Where once you start hearing about. Morrissey's political beliefs, it changes the music. Yeah, yes and no. Like, you know, like okay, I can so still you're... listen to Ark. I can still listen to some. I mean, I still, if an Art Kelly song came on, you know, I'll be like, you know, like it's something inherent in you that wants to make you move, but then you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess it does. Just a little bit. Yeah, you know, so when I think about the Smiths, yeah, you know, and Eric Clapton, man, like I used to love that piano scene at the end of Layla. And I know, but then, you know, he did did that thing at, I think it was at Wembley Stadium in the 70s where he was yeah. like, like, you fucking wogs and da da da, you he know, came- all this shit. What the fuck, bro? So ever since then, I mean, I was like, damn, I can't. First off, here's, here's the hypocrisy of Eric Clapton. You make all your money stealing black American blues music. Yeah, and then you go and disrespect all the brown people in the UK, you know, and shit globally for, for that matter. You know, it didn't matter if they were, you know, where they were fucking geophysically located. Like, you know, it was like, you you did that, man. You yeah, did yeah. it. I don't know if he ever really got the backlash from it. Like, Not as much as he would have if he had done something like that now. Like, he'd be cancelled in a second. I don't know how we got to there. You getting stabbed at the door in Manchester. We said that it's a little bit more upscale, so maybe it's not happening. <laughs> I got knifed by a delivery driver. Yeah, it was like, dog, no! <laughs> I just want my wings! What should we tell his family? Like, oh, and then you came back and kind of disappointed <laughs> my long eulogy. Uh, I was already <laughs> starting to write it down, man. Like, I was going to, it's like... Because we're off the rails and it's the way I want it. Oh, man, never never ask me to talk about anything if you do not want the shit to go completely off fucking topic. Like, that is my that is my name, claim to fame. No, I was going to say um, about your your father being a playwright, and that seems like a really great place to start with the way that you approach a lot of the things that you do. Like... What is it like to grow up with a playwright? Difficult. I can imagine. You know, because, you know, like my father, not only is he a playwright, but he's also an, an actor and a painter as well. So I would have to see plays when my father dies. I have to see plays when my father is like not such a great person. And, you know, and it was really weird. But I realized like, oh, man, we can be so many things and still be 
so that you know that that's what that's what like brought brought about my 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 persona journeys like you know you can be so many things and still be you did that make it hard to understand who it was that you were talking to at the end of the day you know when you went home and you sat with him did you understand the difference he wasn't you know he did like he he did some plays where you know he did a play called passenger past midnight where he played marvin Gaye, and he you know like so he lived through marvin Gaye's whole life uh, he didn't do the singing parts but you know there was another actor uh, actor kevin McElvain. Uh, not a Scotsman. Sounds like he is, to be honest. Connor McLeod from Clan McLeod. Singing Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Singing Marvin. It was like fucking Christopher Lambert. That's another weird thing. They had fucking a French dude playing a, a, a Highlander in the movie Highlander. They could have got Angus McFadden or goddamn... Ewan McGregor. Uh, Sean Connery was in it playing a Spaniard. So, man, that movie was all types of fucked up. Anyway. Underrated classic, though. Absolutely. Not here, man. Highlander gets top marks and in <laughs> my book forever that, that's house. like one of my favorite fucking movies like i will watch highlander like anytime yeah any it's like me in that movie constantine with uh with uh keanu reeves anyway so you know back to the whole thing like uh yeah you know like you know so he played you know marvin Gaye. so he would come home and he would you know he would be really feeling that pain that marvin Gaye was going through so my brother and I, we would just, you know, just say, okay, well, he's going through another one of his things, and then the show will be over, and then he'll be on something new. Even to this day, my father, you, if you ever get a chance to meet him, which you should, like, because, you know, he's around, hopefully I bring him out at some point now that we can move around more free, freely. You know, that's just who he is. And my mother, you know, my mother was a thespian, too. My mother, actually, actually, my parents met. My father played Malcolm X, and my mother played Betty Shabazz, and that's, that's actually how they met. It was a play called El Hajj Malik, which is the, uh, the the name that Malcolm X took towards the end of his life. Mm -hmm. So I grew up, I actually grew up in a woke. I didn't have to like wait until everybody else got ready. Like I, I started there. Mm. So that's another thing about like the way that I look at things is looked at through a like a 40, like I'll be 45 this year. So I'm looking at things from a 44 year old lens already. Because that's the life that I was born into. So I'm not saying like I, I have disdain or whatever for the infancy of most people's ideas. But, you know, I have had a longer time to look at it. And so that's why I make the decisions I do with regards to race and politics and things like that. I mean, still, ultimately, I'm saying the same things that everybody else is saying. But there's just certain things that I, that I realize don't work because I've seen it happen and I've seen it fail. I'm not a big, huge fan of marching, you know, and that's just me. Why? Actually, I just really abhor crowds because you can't trust crowds. Like every time there's some yeah. crowd activity, you know, and something happens, people start, people get trampled. I don't want to fucking get trampled to death, you know? Yeah. And then, sure. you know, people have been marching, especially, you know, black people in this country, we've been marching for a long time. Um, since the 60s, with you know, if you look at, you could put the signs together. You could look at signs from 1965 in Birmingham, Alabama in 2020 in whatever state, whatever metropolitan area in the United States, and the signs would be almost identical asking for the same things. Now, what has changed in 45 years? Not a whole lot. So what, what, saying, what that says to me is that the situation won't be resolved in this particular manner. Uh, I mean, I'm not, and I don't, I don't advocate um, 
violent reprisals uh, because also I think that'll just I don't know, man. It's it's gotta be so, a better way. So if there's not crowds and there's whoa, what the fuck, man? My television just turned on. Oh, that was the ghost of Malcolm. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> "You don't advocate violent reprisals." <laughs> I'm gonna put on the view for you right now. Fuck all these motherfuckers, man! Kill them all. <laughs> Like, put all the white people in the bucket and just shoot them all. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, nah, man, dude, that, if somebody just tuned in on that on that side, like, put all the white people in the bucket and get them all. Like, I guess that's a, that's a real career-ending statement there. But this is what I really wanted to say. I think, and this, you know, this is, this is my opinion, but I really believe that the reason why it's been so hard, especially in this country, to get any kind of uh, dialogue going is because of white fear. If you've done something so horrible to a people for a very, very, very long time, you are always going to be apprehensive about them. That you, you have to almost like keep your foot, like white America has to keep their foot on the necks of black America because they fear reprisal. You know, I can't speak for England. I mean, I know England has its problems. I know France has its problems. Any colonial, uh, or I should say the UK, maybe not the UK in general, um, but yeah, well, I mean, the UK. It is the UK, to be honest. Scotland tries to get away from it and say, oh, we didn't, we didn't, uh, hey, come on, Scotland. You played your part. Scotland joined in, like. In the center of Glasgow, we have Jamaica Street. It's like, okay, why do you think we have a Jamaica Street in the center of Glasgow? It's not pretty. And it was, why, why is there so many black Americans walking around with Scottish last names? Like, you know, it's like, eh, you, you were part of it. Oh, yeah. Your name wouldn't be here. Maybe not too many black old tools. Maybe the Irish, they, but, you know, the Irish, the Irish were, were so disappointing in the sense that, you know, they fought against all this um, backlash in the UK for a long time and then came to the United States and became literally like the whitest of the white. And the same, I say, I say the same could be said for the uh, Italian community too. Like, you know, it's like, what? Like, y'all motherfuckers just became white like two days ago. The whole concept of whiteness or blackness and these things intrigue me in how we get to these places and all of it has to do with fear, uh, our need for inclusion, our need to be a part of something, you know. And so like, I think white people in, in the United States, especially, and I'm only gonna talk about the United States today. I think that white people in the United States are so afraid, again, like that, you know, black people are gonna rise up and kill everybody, you know, because of, but that's not, I mean, I'm not saying that's not who we all are. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure there's some people who wouldn't mind, you know, doing some people in. And in a cosmic, in a cosmic sense, fuck it. You know, that shit probably had to happen. But then, you know, you wouldn't pick out the people. You wouldn't pick out the people that needed, that absolutely needed to go. Like, it will go to somebody who's innocent. And so, therefore, I don't advocate violence as a strategy because you would be, you know, like a violent reaction will be against the people who don't deserve it. And just because somebody's being violent to you doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be violent to them. But I think that this, but I think this is the crux of the argument. And I think is is social economic conditions improve and there's, you know, freedom of mobility. But see, we don't even have that now. You know, it's hard to stem these particular tides because we don't even have 
like as black Americans, like when people, it's a fucking shame that I feel more comfortable riding my bike in Rotterdam and the Netherlands than I do riding down my own street where I grew up in, in Chicago. Is that true? Or, yeah. Like, I mean, shit, in the Netherlands, like, you know, you might see some unsavory motherfuckers, but Chicago, like, you know, the police, like, I mean, all, like I've been accosted by the police so many times growing up. You know, now I got some friends of mine, you know, who I grew up in school with that are cops. And I was like, man, I'm sorry, man. Like, you know, I can't advocate <laughs> this shit, but I love you. So I, I can separate the man or I can separate the person from the ideology. I can. It is, that is absolutely necessary, you know. I like what you just said there. And you seem to have grown up where identity allegory metaphors were something that was brought home to you because if your parents are working in theater like you're, they're dealing there's there's this way that you're trying to tell a story that's different than just literal interpretations of what happened right and you don't do and you don't do literal well i mean it is literal in it that all the stories that i make are just facsimiles of stories that i read so, like, you know, about where Doug's, the, the north of Doug's, the, the, the house of Doug uh, in Culloden. <laughs> like, you know, like if I ever to try to remake the Battle of Culloden, it'll be, it'll be probably have similar results. Or maybe it'll have totally different results. I don't know. Um, there's actually an interesting thing about Scotland in, in, in my little history, that, but I haven't gotten a chance to go there because my brother-in-law lives in uh, Glasgow. But I was like, man, dude, that fucking light thing, like where you don't, you guys don't get any light for a couple of days. That's that's odd, right? Like it is like it's like daytime forever. Yeah, that that you got to go right, 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 right up. You, you won't get that in Glasgow. Glasgow, you're gonna just get gray. It goes from gray <laughs> to dark to gray. <laughs> gray to dark. And then there's one day a year where the sun comes out and everyone just loses their shit. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. Like, ah. Then we get we get boozed up and try to invade England. I was gonna say, and and then it gets stabby, and people get stabbed. I support. <laughs> yeah. I support. I supported. Uh, I supported the referendum on Scottish independence. I, I, and you'll support the next one. I, I I hope. Oh well, I mean, it's not like I could do anything, but I did try. I was like, oh, you know, maybe Scotland should be independent. Like we'll have a, a you know, Scotland will just be a, a distillery. With uh, haggis and some really cool castles, and you know Sean Connery will come back to life. Yeah, Rod Stewart and Bell and Sebastian music just playing everywhere constantly. Rod Stewart Scottish? No, he's yeah. he's actually from England, but he's got a very good relationship with the. Uh, oh, does he? Scotland. Okay, okay. I thought he was Scottish. <laughs> I just quickly double checking. I think he's from England. Uh, he was born in London. Okay, so let's take that back. <laughs> Just a bunch of Bell and Sebastian playing everywhere in Scotland. Bell and Sebastian, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Franz Ferdinand and uh, and uh, Bell and Sebastian playing everywhere. Boards of Canada. Oh, Boards of Canada. Are they yeah, I was oh, just why? listening to two. I was listening to Twism uh, the other day, and isn't a, a no Afex Twin? They're they're, they're he's, English. He's English. The cranberries? No, that's that's think that's Irish. I think we're just spiraling. <laughs> hey, man. I mean, I literally was just talking about how to avoid mass deaths. And then we ended up with reanimating Sean Connery, the natural progression for that conversation. No, but okay. So I think ultimately, back to the question at hand, if you wouldn't mind rephrasing that. 
I'm going to ask you another question because we're going to have to move on because we'll be back at Sean Connery soon enough. Don't worry. Sean! Uh, was, <laughs> was religion a part of your upbringing and how did that, uh, how, how was your relationship with that? That's a very interesting um, question. So growing up, even with my name, I grew up primarily Christian and in the African, you know, like various, like, you know, I studied, like my parents are into various African uh, spiritualities. And that's another thing about, you know, black people in the United States, even during the, that period of the awakening, I would say, was it was necessary for, so the reason why I have the name that I have, because my mother and my father used to go travel back and forth to Nigeria, Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, you know, every once and again, you know, and so um, my father and my mother were hanging out with Fela Kuti and Fela, some of Fela's friends. Wow. They, nice. they were like, hey, you should name, if it's going to be a girl, you should name her Rashida. And if it's a boy, you should name him Umar. And then so they named, I was a boy, so they named me Umar Rashid. So that's my whole first name. I'm not going to tell you my slave name, the name that was given to me by the, the captives of my people. Two reasons. It's Scottish, isn't it? No, no. It's like, it is uh, McLeod. <laughs> Thank you for approaching that so sensitively. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, Doug. Me and you might be kin, bro. <laughs> a nice awkward family reunion. <laughs> true, I, it's true. I'm pretty sure there is some Scottish, like Scots Irish, like somewhat, you know, lineage. And that, well, that's that's that's. We'll talk about that later on down the pike. You know, so they named me this name, even though you know they were raised in a Christian tradition. So I went to, you know, I went through all the denominations of Christianity, like from Baptist to Apostolic to Catholic, you know, it was Catholics where I ended up. And there's the thing about Catholicism that I really enjoy is the, um, the gilded, like the gilded nature of it is very showy, you know, it's very showy kind of like in the ceremony. I really liked ceremony. So when I was in like, you know, getting out of high school, I had uh, converted to Islam around that time. And so I was, you know, a practicing, I took the Shahada, I was a practicing Muslim for some years. But then I, then I met my wife, who's from Japan, who introduced me to Shinto and Buddhism. And so I stopped practicing uh, organized religion after a while. Like I, you know, so I, I respect all faiths. Did you find a common thread between those major ones that you practiced? Well, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just like, you know, like uh, Abrahamic religions, um, you know, definitely there's a common, especially through, you know, between Christianity and Islam. Like, it's not, it's like, you know, the, the middle and the end, because it all begins with Judaism, you know, with the Abraham, you know, all the Abrahamic faiths come from Abraham, Abraham, I, you know, identified as Jewish, you know, or whatever Jewish was back in those days. So the Abrahamic faith. And then, you know, it's the uh, the Torah, the Injil, and the Quran, like, you know, the three books that hold these faiths together. But then again, at the end of the day, I just, I couldn't say that any one of those faiths represented me, just like how, like, any one of those, any of my personas became the complete me. Like, I needed to understand them. I needed to practice these faiths in order to understand them from a, on a personal level. And, you know, it's like, 
you know, like, hey, like nowadays, like, you know, the world is pretty much known. You can be anywhere in 24 hours on this planet. So you have to go through, uh, I mean, the journeys that we take these days are more introspective. You know, they're more journeys into ourselves rather than journeys of exploration and, you know, finding new lands and, oh, this sea moss is great. Perhaps we will figure out some way to cure cancer. Said nobody ever. You go through these phases. And I wouldn't say it was a phase because, I, you know, when I did practice these religions, I was very devout. You know, I used to sing like I loved like, you know, going to Juma with my friends at the, the masjid that I that I went to. And we would have discussions over a meal, especially during Ramadan. Uh, it was really nice, you know, to, you know, talk to. Did you fast? I you fasted. It? Yeah. Wow. And it was it was great. Like, you know, and, and then there's something, you know, I mean, I'm going to talk some, some really great points about Islam is like five times a day you pray. So you keep your, you know, your mind is active at least five times a day on something that's greater than oneself. So there's incredible beauty in Islam. And I really do believe that it is uh, more peaceful than not peaceful. But the but then again, it's not, you know, like I don't have to. Now I'm at a place where I don't have to follow any particular organized religion to be to feel more of myself because, you know, everybody says that if you don't follow us, you're condemning, you know, everybody else is going to just fall off the be like lemmings off a fucking cliff. And I can't I can't abide by that. I, that's you know, that's as far as I take it. So I take the best teachings out of everything that I've learned and I incorporate that into the person that I am today. I take the best of everything. Do you apply any rituals to what you're doing in the studio? Like, do you have behaviors that you've learned from religion and rich, you know, ritualistic practices into what you're doing as an artist? Yeah. Like, you know, I like to, um, I like to clean my penis with salt. Before. It was such a straight question as well. It was like it was the first. It was like the first straight question of the whole podcast. The no, first okay, question well, that, that was that, anything to do with your art or your brightness. All right. <laughs> yeah, man. I take you know I take that Himalayan stuff that you get from the you know the good places and I chip it up and I put it sandwich my penis in between. No, uh, <laughs> no. I mean, actually, I guess what I... your your mom is gonna love this one, Evan. She will wow. never. Oh, oh, not your mama, Evan. Not your mama. Don't no. Don't have your mama. Just put this one. Put a red, big red X on it. Put a big red X on, on this one, man. Don't ever have your mother listen to me. Um, uh, she'll be like, "This guy is in fucking insane, and you should never be his friend, Evan." All of a sudden, she's buying a painting. It's hanging over the the dining room table. And I was like, "But it's 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 me with the uh, with the Himalayan rock salt wash." No, um, when I walk in, it was the sandwich part that got me. Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, you take two slabs of this healing rock." Uh, love it. They're weird. Like uh, it's like you you know I go in and you know like I don't know like I, I've always felt somewhat psychic like i always felt like i always had these kind of powers to be able to sense things and today was weird like i was on my way to the studio to meet to do this and i lost my keys i left my keys at home so that's why my wife was arguing because she wanted me to take some garbage down and i was like i can't take it down because i have to hurry up and get to this podcast because i was thinking it was nine o'clock so i was trying to rush out of here so i had left my keys and then my daughter called me. She's like, you left your keys, Papa. You got to come back and get your keys. And then I came back here 
And it was like, but I was feeling like this heaviness and maybe the heaviness was like, you know, I kind of knew like how, you know, how important Evan is in my life, you know, as my soulmate and life partner, you know, because ever since we locked eyes across the studio, I always knew that you were the one for me. No, it's like, what the fuck? The fucking railed. I was like, we, you know, just seeing you sitting there on that chair. <laughs> we, we had a magical, we had a magical, uh, first Dude, that was meeting. a great fucking, that was a great first meeting, man. That was a great first meeting. Your but studio anyway. is incredible. I mean, if you, yeah, if you would have seen his studio, you're like looking at it like, this is like a rundown tax, like collector's office or whatever. <laughs> and then like ab- above it, you have your wonderful studio. It's, it was, it's so LA. It's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Ben's beautiful. I wanted, I wanted to be like a, like a gallery one day, like, uh, you know, like, or like a, a, a pilgrimage site, like on the, <laughs> it was like Umar died from dementia, had Doug shoot him in the back of the head, just right outside of Manchester proper. Uh, I was like, Doug, do it, do it, do it now, Doug, don't hesitate, do it. Don't! <laughs> I feel it coming. It's taking over me. This is gonna be great because if anybody fast, if anyone, if anybody fast forwards through this to kind of jump around, it's like an EKG of a motherfucker who's about to die. Like it's just <laughs> beep, 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 beep. It's ups and downs. No, but my, you know, my practice really is when I go inside the studio. Like I, you know, kind of, you know, say hello to it like almost like it's a it's like a nurturing place you know like uh when things happen when bad people come i put some salt down and all these ritualistic practices that i've taken from you know dozens of cultures and and i remember well actually recently so i just i just got accused of cultural appropriation and i was like have you read anything that i've ever written like i appropriate fucking everything because I'm making a story about the goddamn whole world. So, yes, I have appropriated things, but not in a way that you, your small fucking mind thinks that I'm appropriating and I'm appropriating so that it is included in its right and proper context. Not like so I can make lots of money. Well, you know, making money is nice, but, you know, but I'm not doing it to like, you know, I didn't start this project. To, to, and, and I do call it a project because uh, when I first moved to L.A., I was, uh, you know, I was a, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to do photography. And then I was just so old that the, I, the, the technology had shifted and I had to paint, you know, like that was the only thing I could do. And my rap career was going nowhere because nobody wanted to hear. Well, at the time I was 24. Nobody wanted to hear it. 24 year old person talk about social justice at that time well they did and you know it was like it was kind of cool but uh, you know i made i made like three i made two albums about that you know about that and, you know again i've lived a, a, a bunch of different lives and so i was actually kind of taken aback by somebody who had the was so fucking short-sighted they would accuse me of cultural appropriation for financial gain but, uh, you know, I don't know who this person is yet, but when I find these motherfuckers... Bullet in the back of the head. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> no, you said that, Doug. I'm going to have a constructive conversation with them. As like, on the record, I was like, I would like to have a lunch with you. Are you adverse to eating tuna because of an ethical uh, choice decision or, or because you are just allergic to fish? Hi, 
I would like to address you in a antagonistic way at first, but then possibly become your friend over time. <laughs> Allow us to engage in fisticuffs upon the green. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was like growing up in uh, the south side of Chicago? Is that Was that a very common experience, fisticuffs on the green? It could have been Doug, but I've always been a trickster. I've always been a trickster. I've always been able to talk myself out of brutal violence. I believe that. By distraction. Like, it's like a sleight of hand. Like, it's like, hey, man, look there. Whoa. I wasn't very fast. I was actually quite a little chubby little guy. I was, I was never fast. I was never very strong. But I was always aware of the Jedi mind trick. They were like, hey, we want to take your money. You do not want this money. <laughs> hey, we're going to beat you up. You would not like to do that. These are not, these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but no, but Chicago, you know, it was, but I also just, you know, I have, I've also like, and it's the same way now, like I can just, you know how, how weird it is that so many people don't know how to read a room. Like when they, they walk into a room and they can't read the energy there. Like I've seen this happen so many times. It's like, that's the first thing you should teach your kid. Like for like child rearing, the first thing you should teach your child is how to read a room. Yeah. There'll be a lot less kidnappings, a lot less fuck shit. Like, you know, you come in there and you see some sweaty looking motherfuckers. Man, that's, you know, it's a danger alert. Unless they're like coal miners. You know, I always knew how to read my surroundings. And I knew that, you know, my neighborhood wasn't the rosiest. Despite growing up where I grew up, there's always good people too. You know, there's always people. I mean, nobody really lends help except for like the older generation. That's the thing that's different from now. Like the old, like I think we would have far less mass shootings if people just stepped in initially, helped out. But everybody's like, it's not my problem. My name is Wes. I ain't in this mess. My name is Paul. This is between y'all. You know, so everybody thinks that, you know, like, oh, you see, like, you know, somebody walking down the street with a fucking 357 Magnum. Like everybody gets out of the way. Nobody wants to be that person is going to take that first bullet. Sadly, I'm, I was always that person who would go to try to defuse the situation before it became a situation. But that is a rarity in these days and times because we are so disconnected. We're so connected on social media, but we're so, um, we're so um, disconnected in socialism. That, that was wrong. Fuck that. Scratch that. <laughs> but, it, but it works. There's something good there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody else can make it better. But remember to credit me. Uh, one of the greatest minds of the 21st century, uh, Jackson Rashid, a.k.a. Umar Rashid, a.k.a. Ferrari. I feel like this was a good place for a quick pit stop. Maybe just time to take stock over the last 40 minutes. Process a little of what's been in discussion before we jump back into it. Usually by this time, we'd like to feel that you the listener has been offered a unique insight into the practices and methodology of a guest but not today my friend no not today <laughs> if you've ever found yourself sitting in a stranger's flat after a club at like 5 a.m this is that energy that we're channeling today if there is one thing that we have learned so far is that if umar rashid ever passes you his himalayan rock salt it is probably best to give it a pass 
Can you tell us about the process and how you get to that final image in a painting? It usually it starts with the research, but if I'm not doing a show about anything that's in, in you know, specifically, like I usually do like six months of research and six months of execution. So say for now, I've already researched the vast majority of the, 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 the hard points. And, you know, so I just get into the intricacies later on. So right now, um, I'm doing this narrative and I'm trying to finish this narrative about the American West and also like uh, parts of New Spain. So that, that's been the focus for the past five years. Five years before that, I did uh, New England. And I was talking about New England. And in between, I did a show in the UK, I did a show in London, which, you know, kind of reintroduced that story. Uh, but in, you know, in not... In, in the, not necessarily in London, London, but, you know, I'm trying to, you know, because right now where I am chronologically, I'm in what would be my version of the Napoleonic era, which actually somehow corresponds with the actual Napoleon, Napoleonic era. So we're talking the end of the 18th century. What do you mean by that, that you're in the Napoleonic era? What does that mean? Well, I mean, Napoleon doesn't exist in my world. But there is somebody else that resembles Napoleon in mannerism uh, because of the nature of how the the last war. So, like, yeah, you. I, I really wish I would have sent you guys the dossier of the of the writings before, because you could like you could read it all. Like, I've written all this stuff down. So not only do I paint it, but I write it in the story form. So there's like okay. a. Long essays. Man, why is Crate and Barrel hitting me up for Memorial Day, man? I don't need no couches. <laughs> <laughs> Crate and Barrel is like a, like a store here that sells shit that you don't need. Sometimes you need it. If you need like a coffee maker. Is that a holiday there? Uh, it's a holiday on Monday. Sort of. Sort of. It's a, yeah. it's a, in, 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 in the States, it's, just, it's a barbecue holiday. Like, people like, we want to remember these ribs. Like, you know, it's supposed to be for, like, people who passed away. But basically, it's about remembering the cow or the pig or the goat or whatever else has been slaughtered that got barbecued up and eaten by 30 people. Fight breaks out at some point, but then it's quickly chilled out and uh, people begin to move on to better, bigger and better things. So that's how, you know, like, uh, for instance, like the solo cut paintings, like, they come, they, you know, like, you know, I, I like to have fun with the work sometimes so um when i do like paintings like that it's like taking all this stuff all this really serious you know colonial business and then reducing it to like you know just this kind of humorous element where it's like you know it, it can live it has its own space to live but i do i tackle all the all the um I tackle all the problems like uh, I did a show in Memphis about uh, three years ago where I tackled, you know, like I, I was talking about directly to slavery and 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 things like that. I usually try to avoid talking about the hot ticket items because, you know, you can see like, a, you know, now there's, you know, there's so many shows about slavery, but I don't want to. Um, mark or denote the African-American experience of having been completely rooted in slavery because mm. we were far more than that. And I feel that America, again, does us such a disservice by, you know, referring to us as, you know, the descendants of slavery. I mean, although that is true, in essence, it is not the sum totality of who we are. 
But if you see that image of yourself as a slave all the time, it's the same thing that goes all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, talking about white supremacy. If you talk about white supremacy and you keep saying that word, you eventually trick yourself into believing that white people are supreme. So I just, you know, I just write this story. I just spin this tale. Like, you know, so like uh, I did the war. Uh, the beginning of this story happens at the, English, at the end of the English Civil War, the death of Oliver Cromwell, uh, when the Stuarts... Your folks. Top boys. Yeah. Good cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Top boys. Good cunts. Oh man, we need to do like we need to do like part one through four of this, man. This this I think this shit is great. So yeah, you know, so like and so instead of having the stewards take over, like for that brief period that they did before they invited the Germans in to be the king of England. Um and that's not, well, anyway, I can keep saying that's another thing because it is always one more thing. Mm. That's how fluid history is. Like, you know, like people are like, oh, yeah, the Queen, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're all Germans from Hanover, right? Mm. Like, like, you know, people don't even know that. Like, they think that they're like, you know, the most proper British people. They're all Germans from Hanover. Mm. You know, just like the Queen of Greece, the King of Greece was like Danish or some shit. And they got rid of yeah, his yeah. ass and... 1971 or some shit, man, fuck all this. You know, like, that's that Habsburg shit. How, how often do you, are you looking through history books and researching where you go, oh shit, I did not know this. And like, kind of, go, it changes your perception of like where the show's going or where like your consciousness goes. Every, every day, every day, like every day I find something, I find, I find something new to be wowed by. And that's what keeps me going, like finding new things. Like, I didn't know, I knew about, because I have a character in my story called the Bonnie Prince. It was the Bonnie Prince Johnny, and he grew up in um, Edinburgh, and they, and they, they, were, they were trying to, um, they were angry that France and England had merged into Fringland, so they felt kind of left out. And they were like, fuck all this, you know, so then they were like the, the it was like, it's a sub-narrative, the, the, the kings of York, you know? And, you know, sometimes people like, they're like, why do you know so much about European history? It's just because it's most readily accessible. Uh, mm -hmm. The history of most, uh, you know, indigenous and, you know, like people of color is a little harder to find, but it's still there. So, you know, I try to marry the two, like I try to do as much research, but, you know, because of the lack of, you know, uh, scholarly research into other people other than Europeans, you have to almost kind of like use what little information you have about, you know, what everybody else is doing during the colonial period. And then you have to, you know, like kind of formulate gaps. You know, you got to you have to extract from the, the gaps in, in, in European history. So it's, it's really like uh, syncretic. And that, and, that, and that is a word that I use a lot in the work. All my work is is it involves syncretism, you know, because it, it is necessary to be able to tell these stories in, in a way because a lot of the information just isn't there. So you have to merge these two cultures, you know, these two, these, these, these different places, these far-flung places. Um, I started like, uh, like uh, 20, not 20 years ago, <laughs> like 10 years ago. I started a, a story about the subcontinent as well, about what happens in India, because it really is a global narrative, but it just so happens that right now I happen to be 
um, talking about the United States or what would would have been the United States. Um, and I'm not talking about these other places, but, you know, it's really I wanted to make a story for the whole world. Because that that's what saved me. And in addition to being a trickster and a chameleon in Chicago, what really saved me is that knowing that there's a whole vast world of people and cultures and communities. And so I was very interested in how, you know, all of this came about. But also the question was, why aren't there more people who look like me in the books? And I went to a high, uh, grammar school. My, my elementary school was called uh, um, Alexander Dumas. And Alexander Dumas, you know, wrote The Three Musketeers. But he was like, uh, you know, he was black for all. If he was in America, he would have been fully black because all you need is one drop of black blood. But, you know, the guy who wrote The Count of Monte Crisco, uh, Counting Monte Crisco, The Count of Monte Crisco, <laughs> The Count of Monte Shortenings, uh, The Count of Monte Lord, uh, yeah, no, but The Count of Monte Cristo, you know, he wrote these with the man in the iron mask, you know, is a black dude. And his father served in, the, in, in Napoleon's army. Well, the Revolutionary Army prior to that, um, prior to the uh, ascent of Napoleon. Um, so it's just all these wonderful histories, wonderful histories that we pay no attention to. But I think it is almost absolutely necessary to learn these histories, to study these histories so we don't repeat the same mistakes. But we do it all the fucking time. That's all we do. Which leads me to the next big question. What truly is human nature? Because we can all like get with everybody and we can all have kids with each other. You know, we can all live together like it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, it's like, you know, black cat, calico, Persian, Abyssinian. They can all fuck each other and have and produce offspring. It's not like a mule and a goddamn, I mean, a, a horse and a donkey that, you know, produces a, well, what is it? Yeah, a horse and a donkey that produces a honky. <laughs> honkies? No, no, no. Those goddamn honkies. You cannot produce a baby with a honky. No, but it's. um. It's basically, you know, like a horse, <laughs> a horse and a donkey makes a mule, which is sterile or like, you know, a lion and a tiger. You know, they're both felids, but they can produce uh, a liger in certain circumstances. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, you know, phenotypically, yeah, we all look different. Yeah. But we can we can all procreate with each other. So what what is the. Was this idea of revisionist history something that's always been with you? Or was there like a kind of a eureka moment, a moment where you had picked up a certain book and thought, hang on, this has just told me something that's completely blown everything out. So I need to reassess everything. It was a eureka moment in the sense that, you know, of uh, that whole trickster element of my existence is to say that I wanted to make something that was going to be, you know, that I could do forever, you know, because in art, you know, like people always have like writing, you know, writers, like, you know, you get writer's block, you know, artist block, you know, and I just wanted to have something that I made that I, I would, could do for the rest of my life. And this is what it became. So it was a eureka moment, but it was also a moment in which like, I, I just kind of planned out my, my, my future. Um, you know, I made something that I, I could do forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I, I tell my kids, I was like, hey, I want you guys to learn this story just in case uh, Uncle Doug 
has to pop daddy in the back of the head, you know. <laughs> but like on like we had to go like in the international out of international waters. We'll be in like the North Sea somewhere. They always love that bedtime story near the Isle of Man. And I was like, "Yes, kids, where your father goes." I'm so glad we had an I an Isle of Man reference in this uh, podcast. podcast. The new one, the Isle of Man. Do you know that's isn't that where the BG? I think that's where the BGs are from. I want to know. And all this stuff that you're talking about, all the all these things that you're talking about, and all these like incredible ways of looking at history and ways of creating art, you know, built into these stories that you're telling and that you're researching, has anything changed for you as the attention and collector base has changed in the last like couple years? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think I'm kind of. I think what I'm doing is I'm kind of leveling out. And normally my MO was always to create, to just move so far in the future. Uh, my friend, the, the rapper and bard Serengeti, he, he, he spoke to me one time and I felt that it was very accurate. He was like, Umar lives in the future and comes back to the present to give his own power presence. So I literally live... Good. Not here, you know, so I'm so far, like I try to stay so far ahead because I don't, you know, um, I don't want to be caught in this wave, you know, of react. I, I hate reactionary shit. Like I hate reactivism. I want to be able to come from a position of strength and come from a position of absolute to talk about these things in a way that, in which they need to be talked about right at that particular time not like you know always because you know that that and and i i don't think i talked about it earlier i think that's the problem is that like most revolutionary um activities are always reactionary you can't be a you have to be proactive in your revolution you can't be re reactive in your, in your in your revolutionary ideals so i think you know i'm being proactive so i'm taking a stance i'm not saying that this is the only stance that that can be taken but, you know, I just choose to, like, show people what can happen, the possibilities, what can happen, and also uh, illustrate what has happened, what has occurred, and get people into history and knowing um, what, history, what, what our history is and to try not to fucking repeat that shit, you know? You know, maybe not much can be said for us. Like, I mean, maybe we're fucking doomed. I have no idea. But we're going to have a good time because, like I said in the beginning... You're going to be Evan once, you're going to be Doug once, it's going to be Umar once, you know? So it all, you know, everything comes back full circle at some point, you know, like if you, but as far as collectors go, I think that's more of, of, of a market thing than it is about my work. I don't think anybody's right. like, you know, just like, just like, oh man, this guy's brilliant. Like, or this guy's a total fucking dick, you know, or this guy really loves Himalayan rock salt. You know, but who knows? Just make sure you have uh, Bill Power send this podcast out to all of his collector base and see if how they feel. <laughs> yeah, no, but he... Unedited. Unedited. Oh, no, but we'll call it uncut. Uncut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this has been great. But no, you, you, but you know what? I do think that now people, for whatever it's worth, I think people are opening up to the idea that, you know, there's a problem here. And we need to, we need to support like, you know, these, 
differing voices and you know i mean but like i mean like carrie james marshall talks about the same thing but he does it in his own way and uh you know david hammond's been talking about it in his own way and like leslie Sar, like she goes into a cosmic kind of a journey as well and so there's uh um a bunch of uh black american artists right now that are are, are addressing this but you know, how far they get is, you know, this is, is really up to the market. So I don't really focus on the market so much, you know, I mean, I should, because, yeah. you know, maybe I could get out of, uh, my, um, I don't know, maybe I can get a swimming pool at some point. You'll see me and I'll be Michael Phelps in my next, uh, life. Actually, it can't be Michael Phelps. That dude's like a fucking mutant anyway, man. You know what? Oh, last thing I'm going to say. We should bring back duels to, um, to like satisfy like uh, agreements between mm. people. But uh, love you, brothers. Take care. All right. Take See care. You. Have a nice day. Peace, Bye. peace. Don't let your mother listen to this podcast. Sweet, sweet, top, top. With my colors sword, all up on the Grim Express. Please prepare for war, I never did get to find out the role Optimus Prime plays in Umar's depiction of colonial battles but I'm not sure if I'd asked, I would have gotten an answer anyway. It's great to be back with you all. I hope this episode finds you well. Till next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Peace. Something bad happened to Doug. We might have to cut this broadcast because we don't want to like hear. Uh, back to you in the studio, Evan. I just want to let you know, Doug did not make it. He went down to go get his takeaway and this motherfucker got uh, <laughs> murdered in his four years. <laughs>